the Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com. I want to talk to someone now who had a vision for an event that had never been done, not just in Ireland, but anywhere in the world, and turned it into a reality. So much so that now it sells out every year and has become one of the main motivational events of its kind in the world. Frankie Sheehan is the man behind it, who started with rugby, ended up on a very interesting journey that brought him to the Pendulum Summit. Frankie, how are you? Jonathan, very good, thank you, and thank you for those uh, lovely uh, comments uh, about about what we've done. But I suppose, look, looking back on it, really, it's easy to do what you're hugely passionate about. Uh, you're when you're working in a, in an area that you you absolutely love. You just don't count the hours. And I suppose a bit about my story, really, going back thirty odd years ago. I remember listening to Tony Robbins. Uh, set tapes at the time and Tony Quinn a lot of people remember Tony Quinn um, with his Aduco stuff and all that uh, creative visualisation there was a, a lady I used to listen to and it, you know that, that was kind of would be called probably mindfulness and meditation today you know so I always had a huge passion for these areas and then as you mentioned I played rugby and as luck had it it was my passion in rugby and I got an opportunity to play um, for 14 years as a professional player. The game became professional just as I finished in UCC and learned and played with and against some of the best in the game, coaches and players alike. You know, So, uh, so it was easy for me then when, when I finished rugby and you know, I had a huge passion for some of these areas of you know, maximising your potential, being as good as you can be, you know, reading autobiographies, studying successful people. And to actually put on an event about it, so like like you said, it was it was one of those things that it was an idea, but you know you bring the idea to fruition, and then you have to convince people to come, yeah, which is the bigger challenge selling tickets. I'll come back to Pendulum in just a minute, but when when you finished up your playing career, well, you had fourteen years as a professional, which was a good run. I mean, various little bits and bobs of injuries along the way, but it was it was a long time. It's a real challenge for professional rugby players when it stops, when they have to hang up their boots, and. There are a number of ways it could go. Were you ever afraid that it might have gone in a different direction? I, I guess, uh, Jonathan, for me, when I retired, I was probably luckier than a lot of guys because I'm from a business background myself. My father was stuck in business for the last 30, 40 years in Cork, and I was always trying my hand at different things as well. I remember he had pubs and nightclubs, and I myself and my younger brothers used to see the empty hall and we used to see the foreign students around the, the, the city and we said why don't we try and get them in for their teenage discos here and uh, year one it was a big struggle but by year two three we used to have probably four or five thousand of them in a week during the busy months and we'd a quick sweep up after and then the, the, the adults would come in so I was always kind of stuck in business but to answer your question, yeah, when you do retire, I, I used to have a lot of excitement about all the different ideas I had in my head, what I'd like to do. But it is terrifying. There's no doubt about that. But I think by having that fear, it does push you to do things differently. And uh, while I had a very good career, there was lots of disappointments within my career as well. I'll be honest with you. And if I can, some of your listeners know are probably at home and saying that ungrateful fellow <laughs> that I got on after getting, you know, capped for Ireland and 29 times or whatever. But you know, 29 times he casually drops yeah, in. Well, as well, yeah. well, you know, but I, I, there was, was you. 
I would have grown up, say, with someone like Ronan O'Gara, and he's 128 caps, you know what I mean? He's 100 more caps than me. Not that I'm saying I was in his category, but at the same time, you know, there was definitely times I felt I should have got more and I should have done this and I had different targets. And I thought that I, looking back now it was probably a good thing that when I did retire, I, I had this bit of an attitude or call it what you want. And I did feel I had a bit more to kind of prove when I, when I did finish. Uh, and I suppose the real motivation for me was when I was playing, I felt that, look, we're going to be retiring early. So we need to create a pension for ourselves. Property was, was just going upwards at a rate of knots. It seemed like the obvious thing to do to uh, invest heavily in property. And uh, well, we did this, and we all know what happened next. I mean, the market prices dropped 60%, 70%. And, you know, all agreements uh, weren't exactly honoured, and uh, banks were in, in, in an awful position themselves. And when you found yourself in that situation, that you had... Up to that point, your life's work, your life savings, all the money that you'd made. And someone was turning around to you and saying, well, I'm sorry, it's gone. It's not there anymore. I mean, psychologically, what impact did that have on you? I, th- I think you just have to deal with what's in front of you. I mean, this was a, a, a macro problem. It was a world problem. It was happening here. One of the most frustrating times, I suppose, was dealing with, with, with people in a non-commercial sense. I mean, if it's a commercial transaction, it's easy, you know. I mean, my father is is, is a, a landlord. You know, they shouldn't even call it that name anymore because what they have to go through landlords these days. But, you know, sometimes he has a business owner who is on, on his knees and, you know, business is going to go over. Now, he can say, I want everything tomorrow and that's it, and your man goes out of business or does what he would have to do and say, well, look, let's sit down, let's try and work this out, you know. And... It just depended what what creditor you got. Some were very, very good at it and and got that and and worked through it, and they're still working through it. And others, there was a zero tolerance. But that was a huge learning curve, actually, in itself, dealing with that type of of brick wall mentality, if you like. And did a little bit of civility that you would have been used to in your professional career to date, in sport and in business, that, that civility, that, we'll call it a gentleman's agreement or handshake or expectation going look let's let's not rush into this let's take time and see what we can do did a lot of that vanish was that gone and and how difficult was that for you and everyone else who found themselves in that situation to deal with yeah and i think a lot of people for you know to start with i take responsibility for everything i've done you know what i mean i'm not trying to point the finger at anybody i did what i did and i will take 100 percent responsibility for the way it ended up and um and it's unfair as well, I think, to generalise all the banks the same. Some banks, as I said, worked really well and they worked through things. You know, you someone like Bank of Scotland at the start, they just exited it immediately. And it'd be interesting to do a study in 10 years' time to see was that actually the best strategy. Others uh, are still just holding on to people. And, I mean, you might have... there's. You might have two public servants there now who are, you know, earning a combined income of about a hundred thousand a year, and they're 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 you know missing nights out on a continuous basis because they're struggling to keep meeting those mortgage repayments, even still, you know, and they're the people I feel most sorry for, you know, the people who are just struggling and and their their creditor isn't you know helping them with that, you know what I mean? But um, so so I suppose while you had something like Nama came in and was brilliant for the developers, you know what I mean. Uh, not that they'd all agree with that, but at the same time, there was no NAMA for the people who had sort of borrowings from, you know, 200,000 to 2, 3 million. And, and that, that would have been great because these guys would work with you. you know? Look, it was a challenge for everybody who found themselves in that situation. But the thing, the, the strange thing about it was because everybody was so badly affected. You know, nobody 
sympathy was in short supply for, for, for the most part, uh, even amongst the population because everybody was going through this trauma. And, and did that make you angry? Did it make you sad? Did, it feel, did you feel more isolated because of the way that collectively we were all in trouble at that point? Yeah, it's uh, it, Jonathan. It's a very, very good question. I mean, I have somebody like my father who uh, has, you know, never missed a payment. Has, you know, been a very responsible businessman for a number of years and very successful. And you know, someone like him would have every right to say, "Well, why should?" And and it did happen. A lot of people who came up and they bought loans back for a fraction of the price. And and you know, that's he'd he'd have every right to be annoyed uh, with that. But you're right. I mean, like you do come across I mean there was developers who um, who took loans out from commercial institutions uh, the commercial institutions it was a joint venture these guys were investing in the developer as much as the developer was using them as a loan uh, things went wrong these banks became nationalised and all of a sudden they're public enemy number one you know if you really break it down I mean these guys didn't take the loan out from the government but now the government inherited it because of a commercial institution, if you like. So I thought that was that was um, unusual. And then some people would sort of say, "Well, was that greed?" You know, and I, I would have I, I would challenge that assumption, and I would say, "Well, you know, what about um, Ronan O'Gara? He's 127 caps for Ireland, and he wants to win another one. Is that greed, or is that trying to be as good as you can be at what you're doing to get that 128th cap?" Ultimately, it's it's. It, it, I think it's the same thing that we're both talking about: is being as good as you can. And yeah, there was developers who were worth hundreds of millions and billionaires, some of them. And it's not it's not necessarily about the money for those guys. It's about being as good as they can be and keeping driving them and setting new targets. And if you talk to, and you read about Warren Buffett, and I was lucky enough to be over at his AGM two years ago over in Omaha, and Warren Buffett will say, you know, doctors get measured on their success by their patients getting better. Teachers get measured on their success by their students getting better marks. I get measured by money. That's why I make it. He's living, he's worth $60 billion and he's living in a house worth $400,000. He goes to the McDonald's drive through in the morning, and you know if he's had a mediocre day, he spends $2.31. If it's a bit better, he might splash out and spend $3.15, right? So, you know, you have to kind of study that. And why, why did people, why did people get so irked at this, you know? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly, I shouldn't be, you know, even talking about it. They have their opinion. But I suppose you have to find out when people are making opinions on different things, do they have all the facts? Do they understand exactly what has happened here in the whole process of be- it? Because the trauma was individual to everybody who was caught in it. And, and it's been widely publicized that you had to enter bankruptcy as well. Um, and that trauma for people who were caught up in it, it must have been never-ending. It was all-consuming of your days and nights, I presume, particularly at the start as you tried to try to come to terms with all this. Sure. I mean, we had five years of litigation, and when I look back at it, uh, the amount of desperately wasted time that we spent, you know, myself and my family inside, drafting letters and drafting responses and putting proposals together and... Um, you know, on the bank side, the bank going through all this, you know, on their side and meeting, they were having meetings and drafting proposals and, and, and but sorry, they weren't drafting proposals actually, but, and then the legals, sure, the legals were having a field day and two, three sets of legals back and forth and around and what a desperate waste of time. When I look back at the energy spent, if I was, you know, head of Ireland Inc. in the morning and saying, I mean, that was a lost seven, eight, nine years of just desperate negative energy 
around uh, nothing productive coming from it whatsoever. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it, it was what it was. I mean, my negative equity in the end was only 500,000. And I know, I don't mean to, that sounds quite... It still sounds a lot. It, it sounds a lot, but uh, as part of an over, a portfolio that was worth maybe 3 million in, in, in 6 or 12 months, that would have been positive again, you know? And so we weren't a basket case. I wasn't at all. And in fact, and we had, I, you know, dozens of proposals on the table to pay every penny back in time. We couldn't pay it in one lump sum, you know, which, to be fair, that's a very unreasonable ask, and that was the ask. So, uh, so we, you know, left with no option to go the bankruptcy route. And yeah, I, I was, you know, absolutely damaged my pride to have to do that because um, I would never, uh, ever advocate anybody to walk away from something. But I had a peace of mind knowing that we had 20 proposals. Uh, we tried for five years to, to deal with this. And, uh, you know, at the, at the end of it, they, it's very hard to kind of do a deal with somebody who doesn't want the deal. And, and maybe maybe the headline of the paper was the ultimate outcome. I don't know that, but, you know, that's what it was. And uh, I, I suppose I have a peace of mind that there was one creditor, one creditor only. There was nobody else any, anywhere near that. And, uh, you know, that, that's what it was, you know. So I'm not, I'm not here to kind of, and I don't, for the record, I don't have any... Uh, animosity towards anybody else it is what it is is, some people would say you might be right to feel bitter because of what you went through and and as I said the sleepless nights not to mention the seven or eight years that you consider wasted I mean should you be bitter do you not feel bitter well there's a great saying I think the hot coal of bitterness that one holds there's only one person that gets burned and that's yourself so I certainly don't have any I don't have any issues Uh, I from their point of view maybe they were there was some policy that they implemented at the time and they had to just stick by that and that was the end of it and uh, it was a learning curve from my point of view it, it was you know the sleepless night it was a desperately frustrating time I would call it it wasn't it was just frustrating you know when you could see the economic sort of value of what you were trying to achieve and just you know hitting brick walls all the time and if someone told you the start it was going to be six seven years <laughs> into it but we were lucky, I suppose, I had a good family support, we had good people around us, and we did, I suppose, the opposite to what a lot of people do, which is the the, uh, the, the ostrich approach, you know, bury your head in the sand. Yeah, you, know. you, you least dealt with it. We, we met it head on, we met it head on, and, and when, there's a peace of mind when you do that, and at the end of the process, whatever way it goes, you can say, well, we gave it everything, we tried everything, and, and, and we did, you know, and, and, and it just ended up the way it did, and things happened for a reason, and, and that's, that's just, you get on with it. In the middle of all of that, when most people probably would have kept their head under a bushel uh, and not come out and, and let it get to them in more of a way than you did, there was a thing growing in the background called the Pendulum Summit. Uh, this was year what? Year? Well, in mid-2013, we, when I finished rugby, we, I got involved with Front Row. We set up Front Row, which was a speaker's bureau ultimately, so we would source speakers for a lot of a lot of the big companies in, in Ireland mostly, but abroad as well in areas of high performance and leadership and resilience and uh, wellness and mental health and all those areas. So uh, by doing this, I suppose, and you know, going through what I just alluded earlier, this kind of desperate negative emotion that was not just hanging over the whole country, but I was feeling it. My, myself and my wife, I remember in the kitchen one day, we were like, this is, this is desperate. Like We're just focusing so much of this negative energy on all of this process and people were talking and giving out and there was a lot of uncertainty there so we said you know wouldn't it be great uh, I guess to you know have something uh, create something that was going to focus on the positives of of 
individuals but also as a country and uh, you know get back that that positive energy uh, again in, into the country and so it, it was kind of a bit of a mad idea at the time we uh, look it was a mad idea because uh, no one had done it uh, we were in a very cynical place in Ireland at that mm-hmm. point whereby you're going everything was miserable and you decided despite everything that was going on that you'd make a business venture out of selling tickets so people can go along and be told that life wasn't that bad I mean who, when, you, when you said it to someone outside of the kitchen <laughs> what was the reaction? Well, I suppose we were used to supplying the speakers to the industry events, so the bankers would get together, or the you know the pharmaceuticals would get together, the, you know the techies, whatever. And uh, those events could be insightful; they were handy for networking. But a lot of the time, they were, could have been lethargic and boring as well, right? On the other side, then you had these very holistic type of events, new age, if you like that just weren't practical in the real world either. Do you know uh, what I mean? The, the Irish are a bit cynical. They'd have seen them as a bit wishy-washy, wouldn't they? Uh, and, and, but to be fair, some of them would be a bit out there too, you know. So, But I suppose I just was passionate about both sides, if you like. And I said, well, why don't we create a hybrid between both that are really, really practical approaches. Let's bring people in who've achieved mastery in their chosen area, whatever it is, and ask them, give it to us, because we're bringing su- successful, busy people in here give us the game-changing insights, give us the best bits in a fraction of the time and cost, really. And that's ultimately what we captured. And we, you know, I had three tickets sold after two days, I remember, like, and I was like, oh, my God, where's this going, you know? And I think, to be fair... I mean, uh, most people would start with the Father Matthew Hall or somewhere. Where did you start again? The convention centre. <laughs> <laughs> we were thinking big from the start, but I guess we, you know, I drew, drew on all my contacts, the, my black book of contacts I had from the very start, and, and people were brilliantly supportive by and large right? Uh, and they gave me the break of the ball I think because it was Frankie the rugby player you know from previous let's give him a go lads you know what I mean and uh, it wasn't until they were actually in the room so while it was another event it was a completely new product on the market if you like right and uh, so they, they rocked into this thing and they were like wow this my god this is something else I got dragged here kicking and screaming this is working you know what I mean so because um, time is one of the most valuable resources now time is so scarce Right, I, there was a, a professor doing a doing a presentation there recently, and he was making this point, and he showed a picture of the toilet, and he said, "That's that's your you know that's the only time you have to yourself these days." <laughs> that's where people send emails these days and yeah. check their social media. You know, that's yeah. really the small bit of your own time. You can close that door for whatever few minutes that you a child will walk in, or or, or you'll get called. So. We, we focused on that and, and, you know, by having conversations with HR directors, CEOs and getting a feel constantly for what the changing trends were, we just focused on getting one day, one event that was just going to be massively impactful and it worked and, you know, we brought Deepak Chopra to, a, you know, a, an international business and self-empowerment summit, which was unheard of, uh, getting him in front of, you know, business leaders and stuff like that. But I think we were ahead of our time there. Now everyone's talking about mindfulness and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, then we brought Tony Robbins to Ireland for the first time ever. And you talk about Irish people being cynical. And it was a huge challenge. But, I mean, Tony Robbins has four-day courses. And we got him to do all his best bits in five hours. I I spoke to somebody who was at Tony Robbins. And and I would describe them as a fairly dispassionate individual about most things. Businessman, but clever. An hour into the conversation, I had to interrupt him to (laughs) stop him recounting what had happened there. Robbins... Not everybody's cup of tea, but for the most part, he engaged that audience in a way that I, I've never heard this individual engaged. I mean, it's, it's a trick to get him, uh, but it's a trick to make sure that everybody knows what they're getting into as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, you know, I think the, the reason some people, the, the occasional person will say, oh, I'm not into him, because what, what he does is he, 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 he creates a show, right? And he t- changes a speaking engagement to an actual show, his music. He gets people up dancing, right, at different times. Now, he doesn't do this just to get people dancing. He actually has a science around this, right? You create emotion by motion. So if you are more animated about you know, the feeling that you have and, and, and you can do that. So that's what he does. I'm personally no interest in the dancing, you know what I mean? So often when he, and I've been to his courses a good few times, when he does that, I slip down the back and I just kind of, you know, my, my wife normally would be dancing away up the front and I'm like, grand, and each, each to their own, you know yeah. what I mean? But, but you, you park that for a minute and you go over his, his presenting style, his passion, his knowledge, he is out of this world. He really is outstanding. He, he you know, and he's such a commanding figure, mm-hmm. and he walks the walk on a daily basis. And this guy is, you know, he, he he's extremely successful. You know, the problem for you though after that was you had to repeat it, and then you had to repeat it again. Uh, and let's fast forward to Pendulum, the most recent Pendulum, where you got the daddy of them all. How did you convince Richard Branson to come? I got my checkbook out. <laughs> <laughs> that always works, I find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, so. You see, I mean, uh, the Tony Robbins thing, for example, was five years in the in the making. Uh, I was having dialogue with Richard Branson three, four years previous. Jack Canfield and all these guys, and Robin Sharma and uh, Keith Cunningham, and a lot of these guys, they'd be years, we'd be talking to those guys as well. And uh, Branson, yeah, you know, Branson is is the rock star of business and life success, if you like, you know what I mean? But... You know, when you come to communicating styles, I mean, Robbins would be, or Canfield, or any of these guys would be miles ahead. But to be fair to to uh, Branson, he's just walked the walk as well, and 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 so he he was remarkable to get him. But I mean, then you had like, I mean, I've never had so much brilliant feedback from people like Baroness Michelle Moan. I mean, wow, what a story with her Ultimo selling the brand. And Joe Malone spoke. She was just out of this world. Randy Zuckerberg, who's huge in the headlines as well, her brother. brother uh, he created some website. I can't remember yeah, the name yeah, of it yeah. now. Yeah. You know, and, and it was just in with this guy called Jack Daly. And nobody had heard of Jack Daly. No, I knew how good Jack Daly was going to be, right? And he knocked the socks off people. So, you know, I suppose we'd sell it with somebody like Branson. You know, Branson's Coleman, you know. You know, and you know, Branson was great, and there was, you know, it was good. But like the guys who really knocked the socks off were, were the people I've just mentioned there. Paul O'Connell spoke; he was outstanding. Uh, Martin Newman on, on emotional intelligence. And, and at what point did you realise Conor McGregor uh, was going to what? Like that was planned, presumably. But when did all of that come together? That you have McGregor and Branson on the same stage? About <laughs> two hours previous. <laughs> And uh, I was having dialogue with McGregor. And I know McGregor now is a big one of these uh, talking points at the moment. I listened to McGregor five years ago and I said, this guy has it. This guy is something else. He has the gift of the gab. He talks like Muhammad Ali. I like him. You know what I mean? And I just did like him. People, I think, judge McGregor on, you know, this stunt throwing a thing at at, at the window of the, of the bus, right? This guy is one of the greatest marketeers I've ever come across. He is unbelievable. Now, who knows? And even if, if this is pre-planned with the with the uh, uh, MMA, or is it not? But either way, you know, the, time will tell. And watch, watch the way he'll make that. Uh, um, you know. So I think I think people can learn from what he does. I mean, is he is he? Some people say, how good is he as an athlete? You know, he's he's a world champion, but he's he's an outstanding marketeer. Mm. You know, and you can learn from those. Like we're not, I'm not advocating you throw something at a window, but Baroness Michelle Moan, 
talks about when she was launching the Ultimo, she got a lot of actors to dress up and uh, stand outside. Uh, they, they, they dressed up as doctors and nurses and they stood outside someplace. Next thing, all the media arrived down and they were picketing because they were going to be put out of business because this new Ultimo brand was, was uh, bras were making women not need cosmetic surgery anymore. And it was a, it was a, it was a stunt. It was an act. And it worked. You know yeah. what I mean? The best stunts are where you do convince the media that they're not stunts at all. Um, Frankie, where's next for this? I mean, you've got you've Pendulum now again in Ireland, but how do you build and where do you go? Well, we've more or less maxed out um, at the convention centre now. We had 7,000 over the two days uh, last January. We're, we're back again next January. There's, I'd say, 50% of the places are already gone or held uh, at this stage, so it's gathering huge momentum. We're creating huge value for a lot of HR directors and companies. Uh, we're going to just continuously focus on that and improve every little aspect as best we can. We're we're just we we've huge huge value system in the organisation. We constantly keep getting better at that, right? So that's that's our anchor event every year. But there's a there's there's a, a very good chance that there'll be an announcement very very soon as regards to uh, doing a one uh, international event uh, on the road outside um, of Ireland outside of Ireland and uh, um, could be in America and it could be in the heart of America and it would be a one day event in September so uh, there, that's news that that could be coming very very soon which would be hugely exciting and you know I think it's uh, within Pendulum we've launched an online platform called Pendulum Talks now this is ultimately your coach in a box it's the majority of pendulum presentations over the last five years, right? And so instead of having to go and get manually coached, you have these guys that you can listen to any time, any place, any device. So we're looking to go and, and expand this internationally. Ireland is great. We love it. But it's a small market relative. This is making such a difference to people's lives. We feel we owe it to people to try and scale this and try and make it bigger so we can spread these messages more internationally. So where better to do that than into the mixer itself, into America. So, well, We look forward to watching that space uh, and find out where exactly you're planning on going. I just want to finish up by, Frankie, by asking you one question. You, you talked about the young lad who filled the disco with the students, and you did that for one reason, which is to put a few bob in your pocket, right? Which at 15, 16, 17 is a very different thing to the Frankie Sheehan sitting off to me today. But having made money, having lost money, and now looking forward to the future of your career. Has your attitude towards money changed? And have you, do you view it differently now than you would have, say, 10, 10 years ago? Yeah, very good question, Jonathan. And absolutely, I think when you look back to, I was probably a paper millionaire before I retired from rugby through equity and property and stuff like that. Uh, I've probably zero now, right? Uh, but would I change myself for that person back then? No. And uh, money is only one aspect of success. That's economic success. I don't buy into money doesn't matter. Money absolutely does matter, and money is very important. But it is one part of an overall, uh, uh, you know, success. And that's really what we, we, we focus on. It's one of the pillars of, of Pendulum, if you like. Uh, very briefly, like we have, you know, um, self-empowerment is pillar number one, right, in no particular order. You put your own oxygen mask on first because if you're not right, you're no good to anybody else. Uh, two is authentic relationships, family, friends, work colleagues and clients if you have them. Three, leadership and team performance. Not all about being the leader, but where do you sit within that? Four is uh, business excellence, which is really important for anybody out there, right? And five is professional and wealth elevation, which I just alluded to there. And the idea here is by, you know, 
identifying what your blind spots are, you might say, well, I want to really, really work on those areas I need to get better on. Or you might just say, you know, I'm never going to be good at those. I'm just going to focus on things I'm really good at. I'm going to get help in those areas. But by showing small increments in each of those areas on an ongoing basis will lead to exponential returns. And that's what success is. That is what success is, is that culture of constantly growing and evolving and, you know, helping you become a better version of yourself. It's been a very interesting journey for you over the last few years. And Frankie, thank you very much for sharing it. Frankie Sheehan, thank you for joining us on Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. My thanks to Frankie Sheehan and the best of luck with that new Pendulum Summit wherever it may be in the United States. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Red Business on iTunes and download all the past episodes on redfm.ie. We'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com.